Welcome to another edition of the BrownZone.com Zone Coverage Podcast. My name is Andy Bullbarch with AM 930 WEOL and 100.3 FM, and I am joined, as always, by Browns Beat Reporter with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and, of course, BrownZone.com, the one and only Scott Petrak. Scott, things have been extraordinarily busy for you over the last couple of weeks here, and the Browns, of course, have had a new head coach now for a little bit over a week, but the search for a general manager continues, and that will give us plenty to discuss here over the next 20 minutes or so. And, you know, there are so many other topics at play here also. Odell Beckham Jr. is really kind of a wild card at this point, depending upon who the uh, Browns decide to hire to bring in as the general manager. You wonder what the plan with OBJ might be moving forward. So, Scott, let's start right there. With Odell Beckham Jr., you know, you and I were talking off air. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of gray area when it comes to him. You have some folks that are definitely on board with him. They don't really believe he's been that big of a distraction, and it really isn't worth it to move on from him after one year. And then you have the other side of the coin where people are constantly clamoring for the Browns to move on from him because they feel like he's been nothing but a distraction. Where do you fall in all of this? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think they should keep Odell Beckham Jr. And I wrote something toward the end of the year before he said he wanted to stay. Remember, there was that, you know, I think it was about a two-week period where he was really noncommittal. We had we heard the reports about come get me. He didn't say whether or not he wanted to come back. I said even then, I think you need to bring him back and you need to make Odell feel comfortable and make him feel like 2020 will be better for him and the team. And I know there's been stuff since then, right? The giving what looks like real money to the LSU players on the side or on the field after the national championship went over Clemson. And then you have the Pat and the officer on the butt in the locker room and grabbing the megaphone. I mean, there's a lot from that national championship game from Odell. And that's why we're talking about it. But to me, none of those instances and even any of the drama from 2019 doesn't rise to the level where I say, yes, get rid of Odell Beckham Jr. And I understand the argument that, you know, death by a million cuts or whatever that phrase is. And that, you know, it's just, is it worth it? Is it worth all the extracurriculars with Odell for the player you had last year? And maybe it's not, right? He only had, whatever, 1,030 yards or something like that, four touchdowns. Number one, I think he'll be better in 2020. I think he'll be healthier, right? He just had surgery to repair that core muscle injury. And you just don't find talents like OBJ very often. I mean, he's a top whatever number you want to put on. Top three, top five, top seven NFL receiver. And even on a down year, he catches 1,000 yards. And he gets double coverage a lot, which helps your offense. And you look at this Browns offense and you go, okay, well, if you get rid of Odell Beckham, you have Jarvis Landry and nobody else at receiver. And I thought Jarvis is a little bit miscast when he has to be a number one receiver. I think he's perfect as a number two. And his numbers were higher because of the Odell Beckham influence. So on the field, I think it's a no-brainer to keep him. Off the field, I get the argument that he's such a pain. Is it worth it? And my counter is, I think he's a good guy. Like, I think his teammates like him. I don't think he's a cancer. You know, there's some guys that are just a cancer in the clubhouse, cancer in the locker room, 
and they bring everyone down. And I never got that sense about Odell. And I think he comes from a good place. Yes, he's misguided on plenty of stuff he says, plenty of stuff he does. I don't understand the whole, I don't like drama, but then everything he does courts drama. And I don't like the attention, but he can't, he can't live without the attention. right? I don't understand that. Um, you know, he wasn't, I don't know how to phrase this correctly, um, something was going on at the national championship game. I don't think he's acting like himself. Um, but, again, to me that's much do about nothing the way it ended. It wasn't a good look, but it doesn't change my mind. I guess my overall thing is I think he comes from a good spot. I like having him. I would like having him on the team if I'm the Browns. I don't think you can replace his talent. I don't think you can get true value in a trade. So, personally, I wouldn't. Now, the only reason I would change my mind is if Kevin Stefanski and whoever the new general manager is, they come in and say, hey, the way we're going to operate is we want guys that are all about football, right? We don't want these guys, you know, and there's plenty of guys scattered around the league like this who it's about me, right? And they want the attention outside of football and all those things. But if they said, hey, we're going to be a team that's all football, you know, a quote-unquote patriot way kind of thing, if that's the stance you want to take and that's how you want to build your organization, then I can understand that argument, and then I can understand trying to move on from Odell Beckham Jr. But I think the reality is you're never going to get 53 guys like that. There's just too many personalities in the NFL. And i just repeat it. I don't think Odell's done anything to raise my annoyance level where I said, man, you got to get rid of him. And I do think with the proper coaching and – just a little bit stronger commitment. Like, I just think he needs to rein himself in a little bit. I think you get a great version of Odell Beckham Jr. and a guy that's arguably the best receiver in the league. And you'd like to think that the second time around, you know, a full off season, maybe he would attend OTAs and that might make things go a little bit better. Plus, you know, the injury kind of cut into his production a little bit last year. And, you know, Scott, you're around that locker room all the time. It just doesn't seem as though his teammates are annoyed by what he does. Like, it doesn't seem like the things that he does off the field that might annoy some really comes back around and has any kind of effect on the relationship that he has with the rest of his teammates. And on top of that, look, this is the kind of talent that doesn't grow on trees. I mean, this is the kind of guy that if you have him on your roster, you've got to find a way to make it work. And the other wrinkle I would throw into this is, Let's just say they entertain the idea of trading him. Well, right now, who's making the phone calls to other teams in the league right now? I think that's a very important thing to bring up because if they were to get to that point, you know, who are you confident in right now making calls to other general managers to put together a deal that would satisfy the fan base? Right. Yeah, that's a good point, and I'll get to that in a second. Just to go back to his teammates, I think you're right. I've never heard a teammate – really rip Odell, and he spent well, he spent five years with the Giants. He left there, and you heard nothing but good things about him. Now, some people in the organization have become frustrated. Obviously, they traded him after giving him a bunch of money, so the organization was done with him, but I never heard any teammates come out and really rip him, and I just think that speaks to the kind of teammate he is. Now, like in an honest moment, you would get Baker Mayfield to say, yeah, the guy runs the wrong routes, or he improvises too much. And we need to figure that out, right? You might get 
you know, whoever, pick an offensive lineman that says, yeah, you know, maybe he shows up to meetings a little late or, you know, it's a lot about Odell. There's a lot going on there, right? We're always talking about Odell. And that might rub a few guys the wrong way, but that's life in the NFL, right? You get that from however many, 5, 10, 15 guys every year. And we've had a, the Browns have had a lot. I say we, I mean dealing with them. <laughs> have had a lot of guys that were bad to have around, right? And I always go back to Kenny Britt because – I think he and Odell, their lockers either the same or one apart now. You know where Kenny Britt used to be and where Odell was in 2019. And Kenny Britt was one of the worst guys you could ever have around. And he was supposed to be a mentor for these young receivers, and he wasn't. And he was a cancer in the locker room. So it can get to a level where guys are like that, and you're just better not having them around. And I don't think Odell comes anywhere near that. And I think most of the players are like, yeah, you know, and he can be a little much at times, but we love him. But we want him on our team. So I agree with you there. And the second part of it, it's interesting, is who would make that trade. Now, you can't make a trade until March, right, when the league year starts. But we have seen the last few years where teams agree to deals much ahead of time, right? I'm trying to think. I think Alex Smith going to Kansas City was done well in advance, and then you just waited for it, right, like a month or two in advance. So those, these deals can start to be worked out now. And I would agree with you. There's a void in the Browns organization because there's no general manager and because the number two and number three, let's call them Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith, they don't know what their future is, right? The, Elliot Wolf will probably be back, I'm guessing, but you never know for how long. I mean, a new GM, we know how it works. You bring in your guys. You bring in your own scouts. You bring in your own right-hand man. And I don't know if George Payton, if he's the guy, and we'll talk about him, but I don't know what kind of relationship he and Elliot Wolf have where would he be comfortable keeping John Dorsey's right-hand man or not. So there is a void there. I would think if teams wanted to call and talk to the Browns about a trade like that right now, Paul DePodesta would probably be the guy leading those discussions. And, you know, we talked about it off the air. He's not a football guy. Right, I mean, I don't think he's never made a football trade. I mean, he's been part of tons of baseball trades, so I think the machinations are the same. But he would have to have a quote-unquote football guy he trusts, right? He would have to ask the pro personnel guys, okay, are we getting good value back? He can do his analytics part of it, and that is a key part of it. But he would need someone to inform his opinion, and the question is, who would that be without a GM in charge? So. I don't think any decision on Odell will be made anytime soon. I think it'll be a conversation for the GM, whoever that is, and Kevin Stefanski, the new coach. When they get the GM in place, I think they will have a conversation. And Paul Podesta might be there, and Jimmy Haslam might be there. And maybe it's part of the interview that they've had with these GM candidates. But, hey, what do you think about Odell? Are you okay keeping him? And it could be a quick conversation. Everybody's like, yes, we keep Odell Beckham. Or it could be a longer conversation relatively fit into what we want to do, what we want to be organizationally. So it's something to keep an eye on. But, like I said, I would keep him. And, you know, Kevin Stefanski met with Odell on Thursday. And that was the first time he was going to meet face-to-face. I'm sure Odell was going to be in Berea because he's coming off the surgery on Tuesday. He's probably meeting with the medical staff. 
And it was a good time for those guys to meet because Odell had been in the news so much. Because Stefanski's new. And you'd like to hope that they could get find a common ground. And Stefanski said he was going to lay out his expectation. It would be the same for Odell as everybody else, but he's meeting with Odell first. And, you know, what if those, if those expectations are, hey, it needs to be about football. It needs to be about team. We need to cut back on some of these distractions. And it'd be great if you could show up to OTAs, right? It'd be great if the team sensed that you bought in. And if Odell was up for all those things, I would think and I would assume that Kevin Stefanski would be, okay, let's move on with one of the most talented guys in the NFL. Not move on, not move away from, let's move on together with one of the most talented guys in the NFL. And with that, we'll move on to the discussion of what's going to happen with the next general manager of the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, we're still kind of waiting here to see what the Browns are going to do. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier this week, Scott, the fact that the Browns are kind of taking a methodical approach to this. And I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing at this point. Uh, what I'll throw out there is this. You need guys in place to help you make the most well-informed decisions, not only come draft time, but also when it comes around to signing free agents as well. And I, I go back a few years to when the Browns had a certain set of scouts in place to help them get through the draft, and then a healthy chunk of them were shown the door after the draft. So you have to wonder, with the guys who are here currently, you know, are they kind of wondering who is going to be hired, not knowing you know what kind of an effect they might have on the organization moving forward? And you're looking at a pretty important time right now when it comes to scouting some of these college players, whether it be at the Combine coming up here, the East-West Shrine game, the Senior Bowl, and, of course, the individual workouts for some of these guys as well. This is a really important time of the year as far as scouting is concerned, getting ready for the NFL draft. And, you know, if they don't really know who they're answering to or who their new boss just might be, I think it puts those guys in a really tough spot. You know, we talked about Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith earlier. Well, you know, not trying to get too deep inside the head of Alonzo Highsmith, but, you know, he was clearly interested in what was going on at the University of Miami about a month right. or so ago, and that leads you to believe that he doesn't really appear as though he's too comfortable with what's going on right now in Berea. No, I, I think that's a fair statement for sure. And I, I think that's natural, right? These guys that are parts of the scouting department, parts of the personnel departments, they know how it works. And it's unusual for someone to stick around a long time when there's a regime change. Now, sometimes it happens, right? A guy like Chisholm Opara, who's he's not a household name, but he stuck around from, through, from Phil Savage. He came with Phil Savage. And he stuck around through the next several guys before he wound up leaving. And he worked his way up the organization. And Andrew Barry stuck around for a year after John Dorsey came, and then he wound up getting a better job in Philadelphia. But the fact of the matter is there's a ton of turnover in that business, and it's like a coaching staff. When you get that job, first of all, you fight your whole life to get that job, right? And I was Kevin Spence, he's only 37, but – Whatever. You, you fight to get that head coaching job. You fight to get that GM job. And when you get it, you think, this could be my only chance. Do I want the guys I trust to be, quote-unquote, strangers? Or do I want it to be a guy I've known for 10 or 15 years and worked with every day and can trust? And I think it's just human nature to go, yep, that's the guy I want, right? It just makes sense. So 
I think it's normal and makes perfect sense for a guy like Alonzo Highsmith to wonder if he's going to have a job with the Browns after the draft. Because that's where most of the turnover happens, is after the draft. And I don't think I can answer that for him, right? It probably depends a lot on who that next guy is. If it's George Payton, I don't know his connection with Alonzo Highsmith. If it's Andrew Barry, they worked together for a year. Maybe Andrew Barry would keep him, maybe not. Maybe Alonzo would have a better idea whether or not he's staying, um, given his, you know, he knows what his relationship is with a guy like Andrew Barry. Um, but it, it is a difficult spot for these guys professionally and personally. And then you mentioned it from a team perspective. They're going about their business, right? Alonzo Highsmith at the Senior Bowl, and I think Elliot Wolf is down there too. And the Browns have scouts at the Shrine game and at the NFLPA game, right? Like the Browns, it's not like they're not represented. It's not like the building has shut down. But they're doing this work not knowing who the decision-maker is going to be when you get to the draft in April. And I think that's an uneasy feeling for them and for the organization and it just creates it creates a weird dynamic. Now, I will say that these guys, a lot of these people in these positions, have been through it before, right? And the the way the NFL calendar works is coaching staffs change right after the season. Scouting personnel, right, the scouting department changes after the draft. So whoever the GM will come in. He pretty much has to work with most of his guys, most of the guys he inherits. Now, maybe he brings in one or two guys right away, and they help him. I'm trying to think of when John Dorsey came in. It felt like Alonzo Highsmith and Ellie Wolf were here. They were because they drafted Baker, right? So they were around for that part of it. But all the scouts and a lot of your day-to-day grinded guys, they'll be here through the draft, and their work will help the Browns draft, and then they could be gone. So it's certainly an interesting dynamic. You want, It's not the ideal setup, right? The ideal setup is you have all your guys in place. You've been working together for two years. You know exactly what you're looking for in a inside linebacker. You know, you know exactly what you want in a safety. You've worked with the coaching staff where you have to add that into the mix, especially if it's not George Payton who has a long relationship with Kevin Stefanski. If it's Andrew Barry or someone else, then he has to know immediately what your coaching staff wants in players. And you have to assimilate that in the next right, three months, address three months from now. That's a lot, that's a lot of moving pieces. So I, I do think one of the kind of things that get lost in all the regime changes is that. right? You have the lack of continuity for players. right? They have new system every year. They have new coaches, new position coaches, new coordinators that they have to get used to. And then organizationally, you have the change in the personnel department, change in the scouting department. You have the relationship that needs to be built between them and the coaching staff. And all of that sets the organization back to some degree because stable places like Pittsburgh and Baltimore and New England, they just don't have to go through that. And they're starting one, two, three, whatever the number is, steps ahead of where the Browns seem to be starting every year or two. Yeah, it makes it very, very difficult. There's no question about that. And, you know, Scott, I guess the other thing, too, moving forward with this position, I mean, the Browns have some decisions to make. 
when it comes to free agency. You know, Joe Schobert is a guy that I think a lot of Browns fans would certainly like to see out there again next year. So if they do bring him back or they want to bring him back, they need somebody on board who can really kind of lead the charge there as far as the negotiations go. And that's just one of the many wrinkles. And I think that has a lot of Browns fans very concerned not knowing who the general manager is going to be moving forward. You talked about George Patton, a couple of interviews for him. And, you know, at this point, a couple of things certainly are laying out there and lingering right now. I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, after two interviews, is he not 100% sure if he wants to jump on board? Or, you know, did the Browns not come away impressed enough? And if that's the case, who else is out there? So those things seem to be awfully concerning because we're going on just about three weeks right now without a general manager. And again, I think that's legitimately got a lot of Browns fans concerned. Sure, and I think rightfully so. Um, now, you know, if they announce today, right, we're taping this on Friday, if they announce it today or over the weekend or Monday that George Payton takes the job, then I think everybody can relax, and there's probably there's, – you're not any worse for the wear that it didn't happen a week ago, right? And, and Kevin Stefanski's going to be hired for, you know, what, it's a week and a half now. So, you know, I, I don't think – the difference between January 20th and January 27th is a huge deal. Um, but if George Payton, and, and I get the sense, right, and the Browns have been real careful about what they said, and Kevin Stefanski, when we talked to him at the Greater Cleveland Sports Awards on Wednesday, talked about how they're taking a methodical approach, right, and they want to make sure they get it right. And he wouldn't even really discuss George Payton because he didn't want to single him out. Well, that's fine, but you get the sense that he's their guy. It just makes sense. Yeah, right. You have Kevin Stefanski, who's worked with Peyton in Minnesota for the last 13 years. Jimmy Haslam, the owner, talked about how the coach will have be heavily involved in picking the GM. He's stressed the need for alignment. We've talked about it. Well, it just lines up, right? You get your coach and GM, they know each other for 13 years, work together for 13 years. It just makes sense. So I think if it's not George Peyton, it would be a surprise, and I think it would be, Peyton's decision not to come here. Like, that's the feeling you get is that he came, you know, he interviewed here twice, went back to Minnesota, and has some things he needs to work out for himself. One, does he want to move his family? Right? Two, is this the right opportunity? Because I mentioned it a little bit before. Coaches sometimes get the second head coaching job, right? Hugh Jackson got a second chance with the Browns. Pat Shermer, after the Browns, got a second chance with the Giants. You don't see a lot of general managers get second chances. And you certainly don't see a lot of general managers who bomb in the first go-round get a second chance, right? I mean, none of the Browns guys, you know, uh, Phil Savage, Tom Heckert, Ray Farmer, Sashi Brown, like those guys aren't going to get another general manager job. It's just not going to happen. So George Payton knows that. And he knows, okay, if I'm going to get one shot, right, one bite at this apple, do I want to take it? with an organization that fires their GM every year or two, has a quote-unquote unstable owner, hasn't won in forever, is that the risk I want to take? And he sat down with the Haslam's, so he'll get a sense for him, right? He has to buy and he has to be comfortable. And this isn't saying that he won't. Like I said, he could make that decision to come aboard later today. But it's, I think it's a big-time decision that isn't automatic, for him, because if it were, I think we'd have a deal done by now. So then the question is, if he says no, 
I'm staying in Minnesota, which he's turned down plenty of interviews in the past. You know, he's also been a finalist a couple times for other jobs, uh, reportedly San Francisco and Indy in 2017. But if he says, no, nah, I'm going to stay here, maybe Rick Spielman will move on someday, or maybe I'll get, you know, maybe there's a better job out there. Maybe Kevin Colbert retires from Pittsburgh in the next year or two, and he could go to a much more stable franchise. Those are probably things on his mind. So if he says no, then the Browns better hope that Andrew Barry says yes. Because if not, then you're almost it's starting over. And then this thing drags on. And then you might have to settle for someone you don't really love. And then is it a, is it a fit with Kevin Stefanski or just finding someone willing to take the job? So I would think that this is a nervous time to some level inside Browns headquarters. Because they feel like, okay, if we get George Payton or even Andrew Barry, because I know they really like Andrew Barry, the Haslam's and Podesta, then okay, we kind of are. The off season went like we hoped it would. Once we decided to move on from Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey, this was the plan, and we executed that plan. So, yeah, I think it is a nervous time, not just for fans. I think it could be a nervous time for the organization. Um, and like I said, it could be fine if Payton or Barry takes a job then they'll be like, okay, we can move forward now. Um, but it is a long time to go without a general manager, and you're right. This is a busy time. There's a senior bowl. There's a trying game. There's everything, right? I mean, all this stuff is happening, and as soon as the Super Bowl's over next Sunday, boom, we got the combine coming up. You have franchise tags you have to figure out. You mentioned Joe Schobert. The Browns have a handful of guys like Joe Schobert who they need to decide whether or not they're going to bring back. And while John Dorsey, I'm sure, had made those decisions, right? He decided if he wanted Joe Schobert back, or if so, how much money was he willing to pay him. The same for Demarius Randall and Rashard Higgins, and a guy, even a guy like David Njoku, right, who I thought was done under the old regime. I did not think he'd be back. Well, now you have fresh decision-makers, and it's a head coach who needs to watch all this film because he hasn't studied the Browns like you and I have studied the bronzer. I'm sure we've watched them more than he has. So now he has to catch up on all these players. The new GM has to catch up on all these players, and you have to make decisions in a really condensed time frame. So, yeah, I think they need to get this taken care of. Hopefully it will work out the right way for them so it's not you're not starting at ground zero and you're not starting way behind the eight ball and you're not having another arranged marriage like the Browns have had time and time again. So it's a hugely important hire. Um, the timing needs to happen relatively soon. And, yeah, we're going to have a bunch of Browns news, right? We talked about how it's been a busy time. It will continue to be a busy time because that's how the NFL works, and it works more that way when you have new people making the decisions because everything happens back-to-back-to-back. Yeah, and you're right. It'll be interesting to see if we hear something from Peyton or Barry here the next few days. And then at the end of all of that, let's hope the Browns have some sort of decision maker in place because they've got some other big decisions to make, too, as they pertain to the coaching staff. And that's something we can certainly attack on a different podcast. Well, Scott, as always, a pleasure to do this with you. And we'll certainly reconnect again next week because hopefully next week we'll have a better idea as to who the new GM will be and also a better idea as to who's going to round out this coaching staff. But, you know, a lot of that's still certainly very much up in the air. Yep, sounds good, Andy. Plenty to talk about always. 
Thank you, Scott. Much appreciated. Again, that's Scott Petrak, Browns beat reporter with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and of course, brownzone.com. That's going to wrap things up on today's edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast. For Scott Petrak, this is Andy Bullbarch saying thank you again for tuning in, and we'll talk to all of you again next week.